The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Today, I'm going to really be leaning into my role as a shepherd. Uh, throughout this series, I've been encouraged to see how our congregation models so well the biblical qualities of an apostolic church. Uh, we do, we do. I really believe that we do hold the truth in high regard. I believe we love well. Uh, that love shows itself uh, in generosity and hospitality. Uh, that love also, uh, in our love of truth shows itself in matters of biblical authority as we submit to the scriptures that are taught uh, by the apostles of our Lord. Uh, but today, uh, today is going to be one of those sermons that I need to talk about an area of weakness in congregational life. And I pray that as I do, uh, we will indeed have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us, and that we will especially uh, be ready to respond with humility one towards another, but mostly humility to the Word of God and humility to what the Spirit, I believe, wants to show us this morning. There is uh, this particular aspect of church life where we are weak, and that is in the formation of community. Now, community, uh, the word community is a bit tricky, and um, I don't want you to think that I'm thinking about maybe civic community out there. Um, and I also am not talking about whether or not we are a quote-unquote kind of friendly church. You know, I think we're a friendly church, and that's good. You don't want to treat people in an unfriendly way, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean just because we may be on the surface, friendly to one another, that we are a church committed to a strong formation of, uh, of community. And I remember now, many, many years ago, when uh, as a church we decided to no longer have a Sunday night church because we believed it would, have, would be in our best interest to go into some kind of a small group ministry to get people together outside of the church. And now looking back all those years later, it's just something that, whether it's a leadership issue or it's a congregational issue, we really can't determine, but we've never been able to develop out of our congregation life outside of Sunday morning. It just hasn't been able to happen. And uh, we're not unique in that. Um, there are in our church a few spots of small groups, things we have done, but not consistently seeing the body of Christ engaged in community, whether that's, um, you know, in a small group ministry or even just, you know, in people kind of doing it on their own. It's just not been something we've been able to do. Uh, and, of course, I'm always praying that uh, what happens in here and what we feel so strongly about in here may somehow, by God's grace, begin to happen away from this building because how we respond one to another and how we live in community one with another uh, does indeed matter. It matters because of what we read uh, both last week from Acts 2 and what we read today from Acts 4. 
uh, the building of community, the being together as God's people is not optional. And many people, of course, um, believe it is optional. And they just think coming on Sunday morning is, gets the job done. So my outline today is, is simple in one sense, but it's a little, um, not, well, it's not really super simple. I'll need to explain it. Well, we're going to put it on the, on the screen for you if you want to jot it down. Uh, the focus of the sermon on uh, why community matters. Um, we are a local community that is seen. Uh, we are a local community that is uh, also that, uh, let, me, let me restate that. I apologize. I was looking at that. Um, I should be looking here. Uh, a local community that is seen. That's point one. Uh, point two is an oppressed community that is seen and unseen. And then third, a spiritual community that is unseen uh, and seen. So uh, I, I, I'm taking this word seen, meaning what we look at with our eyes, because um, when John writes at the end of his letter in 3 John, verse 13, he says, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. And we will talk face to face. You see, that's a very personal thing that John wants. He wants to see his friend uh, Gaius. He wants to see him. So the local church community is something that is seen. And we're sitting here, we see each other. My contention is we need to see each other out of this room as well. And then uh, the church is an oppressed community that is seen and unseen. And then it's a spiritual community that is unseen and seen. Community matters because the church is to be the people of praise and thanksgiving. That's why we chose the songs we sang earlier. Uh, we've joined together in worship. In worship, we give our praise and thanksgiving to God. I really appreciated the way the musicians slowed that second verse down and made us think a little bit about um, people around us, lonely, see the lost, see the hurting, uh, see the, you know, the lonely, um, because sometimes we just rush through things we don't see as we, of course, should, should see. As a people of praise and thanksgiving, which is rooted then in the fact that we are sinners who've been put back together and remade by God's grace all through the accomplishment of Jesus in his death and the power of his resurrection. So when the church then makes this announcement of praise and thanksgiving, we bring the sacrifice of praise, he has made me glad, all of those things, we do it as a community, a community of God's people, but we should not be just doing it as a community that just bumps into each other on a Sunday morning. Like you might bump into somebody at the grocery store. Like Rhonda and I and Jerry and Alice Noble used to be in sync prior to COVID with our shopping at Hannaford. And, and just about every week we'd go around the corner and there's Jerry and Alice and, you know, then your shopping trip takes a little longer, right? Well, that, that shouldn't be the way it works in the life of the church, that we just kind of randomly bump into people. Uh, indeed, we need to be a community of praise and thanksgiving that is very intentional about the development and formation of community. Now, now we need to note something from this text. In an age, 
in an age in which technology allows for all kinds of conveniences. We really need to take our cue from the Apostle John, who made it clear. He made something clear. He said, I will set aside the ease of technology because I want to be face-to-face with my friend Gaius. Now, technology for him had advanced from like, you know, taking a rock and scratching something into another rock, and, you know, there's your letters. I mean, he had a quill, and he had a parchment, and he had ink, and that took a lot of work. I mean, listen, if I had to sit down and write this sermon out with a parchment and ink, and I mean, forget it. This would all be extemporaneous. This just would all be just free flow, you know, going. Uh, but he, it, it, technology had advanced. It was a lot more convenient for him to write than previous people who were writing. But John said, you know, I'm not going to use the conveniences that I have just to keep writing letters. Because I want to see you. I want to see you face to face. I don't know how far John would have to travel, but whatever distance he would have traveled to see his friend would have been a massive inconvenience compared to our travel arrangements right i mean uh this would be both in the hardship of travel what he what he actually had to do when he traveled the dangers of travel he wasn't able to you know stop at a motel six leaving the lights on for him a comfy bed he gets a breakfast goes to a local diner or something like that no there's dangers all around maybe he stops and knows some christians he gets welcome maybe not But he wasn't going to let the hardships keep him from the experience of community face-to-face with his friend Gaius. Let me ask you a question. How many times have you said to yourself, or maybe you've heard somebody say, isn't it great that Jesus knows our name? I mean, I've heard that my whole life. Somebody said, Jesus knows your name. And that's a real comfort, isn't it? That Jesus knows our name. But you know what else is to be a comfort? When we hear the name of other Christians being spoken, or when another Christian says our name, when we're in fellowship and community one with another, and we say, oh, you know, there's Todd, or there's Joe, or there's Lily and Vicky. so good to see you guys today, there's Teresa, there's Lynn, you know, we see each other, we know their names, and I know sometimes, you know, you struggle remembering names, we all, most of us do that, um, and that's okay, you know, you just fudge it for a while, and maybe it comes to mind, or finally you break down and go like, hey, I just forgot your name. It's Zeb. I didn't forget your name, Zeb. It's Zeb. Um, you know, and that's okay, but isn't it a comfort when somebody says your name? That God knows your name. And, and, and what great comfort we need to be bringing to one another when we say one another's names outside of this building, out there in the world in which we live. This is what John is after. He's compelled to see his friend. He wants his friend to receive not only his greetings, he wants the friends to greet there in verse number 15. And he says, greet the friends each by name. I I don't think this is a throwaway word or a throwaway concept. John did not say just kind of, hey, say hi to everybody. He says, I want you to tell them on my behalf that I said hello and I want you to say their name. And so this thing of community matters, and it really matters with the community that we see, the community right in front of us. In keeping then with apostolic authority, we have to affirm the absolute importance of faithfulness to 
a local community, to the local community that is in our sight, or might I say within our reach, this parish community, if you will. You have to be part of a local church, and in being part of a local church, you have to affirm the absolute importance of faithfulness to that community if you're going to keep with the apostles' teaching and doctrine. That is, that is so clear all the way from uh, day one, Acts 2, all the way through everything that the apostles write. It was, it was not only, but predominantly about relationship one with another, and not just on a Sunday, in a Sunday gathering. This is an area we have not done very well with as a church. We just haven't. And, and you know, it's okay to admit that, by the way. It's okay, and, and you shouldn't be offended about that or something. We should say, hmm, yeah, that's, that's probably true, but is it important? Well, if we're going to have a high view of Scripture, if we're going to hold the tr- truth in high regard, and if we're going to hold love in high regard, then we have to hold community in high regard. Or, or you're just making it up on this side. Or you're just saying, well, truth and love only matter when it's convenient to come together on a Sunday. But that is not the way the New Testament presents life within the local church. I think there are two diversions that Satan has put into our path, uh, especially kind of in the time in which we live. None of this, none of this has anything to do with COVID. None of this has anything to do with COVID. So if you say, oh, it's COVID. No, there's nothing to do with COVID. The first one is the increasing number of people who only now frequently attend church because they make plans, you know, other plans a priority instead of Lord's Day worship. Secular society has pushed the church into a very narrow place now where it's harder and harder for Christians to say no to things, whatever those things may be, and there are a lot of them, and to say, no, I'm, I'm going to Lord's Day worship. And what's true of Lord's Day worship is also true about the other days of the week. We, we're just pushed to the, to the margins of life. And of course, people say, well, you know, I don't need to go to church because I can watch a sermon online or I can watch my favorite guy on TV or I can go out in nature and meet with God. You know, and all of that sounds plausible. Unfortunately, it doesn't keep with the teaching of the apostles about how the church is to form as a community and be a community together. It just doesn't. And we need to wrap our heads around this and understand that the apostolic writings tell us not only to honor the day of the Lord and not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but to be in close relational fellowship with one another, carrying out the one another's in our lives throughout the week. But society pushes us, and the church keeps adapting itself to the way that the secular society is living. But there's a second way that this gets expressed, and that is when people, they lean into the mindset of a consumer, the mindset of a consumer, which is really a satanic diversion. Churches like ours, other churches in rural communities, um, and, and I talk to a lot of pastors of rural churches like ours, 
feel this probably more than anything else because churches that are out in the country generally are smaller, a lot less resources, simply cannot provide all the bells and whistles that the consumer thinks is important and that the consumer is looking for. The greatest, you know, one of the greatest joys of my 32 years of being at Durkee Town is the growth that God brought throughout the years, but it's also been my source of greatest pain because of all of the people who have left. And and it's a real head-scratcher for me, especially because we have worked so hard to develop a church devoted to the Apostles' Doctrine, devoted to fellowship, devoted to the breaking of bread, devoted to prayers. In other words, we have deliberately established a kind of ministry that keeps Jesus at the center, but the consumer mindset keeps pushing people away while you don't have this and you don't have this and you don't have, what about this, can't you do this? And pretty soon you're just running ragged trying to keep it up with the Joneses. And instead of people really loving Christ at the center, like a consumer, they say, well, the things out here are really important to me. And they leave. And, 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 and you know, it's, it's painful on one hand, right? And that it's frustrating, but it's also tempting. It's tempting to say, well, well maybe we need to, you know, get the, the fog machine going. <laughs> Angela, you got one of those at home? Like you run out on your driveway basketball court with the fog machine going, you know? You know, maybe we do. No! And I, listen, let us endeavor to be a community that keeps Christ at the center But then let us be a community then that sees Christ at the center every day in the week and real relationships with one another that pull people together to Christ one with another. More on that next week. So, well, how should we respond to our community, the community that we see? Well, I think the response is this picture of John and his friend Gaius. He's just going to go to whatever lengths it takes to be with his friend. He's just going to say, my relationship to that man in Christ is so important. I'm going to set aside the technology. I'm going to set aside the inconveniences because I want to see my friend face to face. So the community that is seen. All right, let me get very quickly to the oppressed community that is seen and unseen. All my life I grew up hearing about the persecuted church, which seemed so very, very far away, and in many, obviously it was very far away, and still is. The persecuted church today in the world is still something we need to be praying for and thinking about, but this is not what I'm thinking about when I talk about the oppressed community that is seen and unseen. We do not have to go to faraway places to find oppressed brothers and sisters in Christ, They are actually in sight. We just simply, we don't see them. We don't see them. I'm learning to see them. It's it's been quite an eye-opening experience for me. Um, Our dear friend, uh, Eric McIntyre, who has spoken here before, um, a a big big African-American black guy from Philadelphia. You remember Eric? Um, He's somebody that I have in mind when I think about the oppressed community that is seen but unseen. Eric shared a quote with me by a 
a Christian named Samuel Say. Samuel was born in Ghana, Africa. He lives outside Toronto. And he wrote this, if you are black and a Christian, you are part of the loneliest, most isolated group in America. You catch it from both sides. Blacks don't think you're black enough, and whites at times see you no differently than other blacks, so you don't really get a fair judgment from them either. Black American Christians, seen, but we really don't see them, because we conveniently lump them into a group where they really don't belong. And we must be clear that in many Baptist churches, I pray not here, I don't think here, but we we need to be clear that the idea of segregation is still an idea of merit. But this idea of segregation strikes a blow against the new community that Jesus has formed because our baptism into his body means that we are all one in Christ. To use again the title of Mark Knoll's book, The Civil War as a Theological Crisis, I believe a theological crisis continues today. And you might say to yourself, why are we talking about this? We don't you know, live in an ethnically diverse area. But I want to remind you that sin lies much deeper in the heart than we can know. And when it comes to surface, it does so in thought, word, and in deed. And don't forget, in the things we have done, and the things we have left, what? Undone. Yeah. Robert's going to put a picture up on the screen for us. An anniversary uh, this past week was recognized that can help us better understand how we do not see our brothers and sisters in Christ who are black and oppressed. Do you realize it has only been 45 years since the Supreme Court ruled that laws banning interracial marriage were unconstitutional? It's only been 45 years. And the Newbells celebrating their anniversary as a couple married and in Christ would not have been allowed to be married plus 45 years ago. Who put the laws of the, on the books that banned marriage between races and who supported that ban? It wasn't secular governments from some communist, you know, socialist nation. I know for a fact that those laws were in large measure lobbied for by Christians. And I went to a Bible institute that led the way in segregation and I was there in the mid-1970s that still banned interracial dating. Remember at the freshman seminar, this guy stood up, you know, after getting the lecture, and he said, well, my dad's American and my mom's Japanese. What do I do? You got to do a lot of gymnastics to figure that one out. And they said, well, see us afterwards. <laughs> this kind of oppression, this kind of thinking, That is ingrained, kind of, it's ingrained, it, it keeps kind of coming up in people's minds. It strikes a blow against the new community that Jesus formed. Again, our baptism into his body means that we are one in him. But you know, if you say that was then and this is now, everything's okay, we miss then an opportunity to express our full support of our black brothers and sisters in Christ 
who are still facing great oppression in the communities in which they, they live. Psychologists have identified the idea of moral licensing as a, as a reason why oppression and abuse continue against people uh, either of race um, or people you know, that we don't understand, whatever it might be. And the basic meaning of moral licensing is this. You, you, you look at your good behavior and then you justify your bad behavior. Here's the simplest way to think about it. You uh, diet or eat well all week, and then Saturday morning you say to yourself, hey, I did a really good job eating all week, I'm just going to binge over the weekend. Like, you know, all of my good behavior, kind of like, oh, I justify my bad behavior. That not only comes up in eating, it also comes up in spending money, and it especially comes up in the matter of race. Moral licensing in terms of race is often expressed in acts of omission, the things that we have left undone. You might be tempted to think to yourself, well, I've never oppressed anybody, uh, black or white. I'm not part of that. That's not my thing. But you don't consider, have you ever done anything actively to help, an active engagement for good? And again, we are concerned about the things we have done as well as about the things we have left undone. Have you spoken up for a black brother and sister in Christ? Have you prayed? Maybe as a church we need to find an urban ministry that predominantly is ministering to the black community and begin to pray and provide support and encouragement into that community. Moral licensing in theological terms becomes the sin of self-righteousness. And the sin of self-righteousness, not always, but very often, is expressed in sins of omission. It was probably the one sin that Jesus railed against the most when he would talk to the religious leaders, right? You find it all over the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, Jesus tells a parable, and in the parable he points out those who were trusting in themselves that they were righteous. That's what self-righteousness does. It, it trusts in ourselves. We say to ourselves, well, I've never done anything bad, so therefore I must be okay. But it doesn't stop to ask itself, what good has it done? You might remember that Paul calls Peter out on his hypocrisy. The hypocrisy against the Gentile Christians because it distorted the gospel. I don't, we're not told how Peter responded, but in my mind I was thinking, well, what if when Paul says, hey, you're being a hypocrite because you're hanging out now with the Jews when they showed up, but you're leaving the Gentiles behind. What if Peter would have said, yeah, well, you know what? I was the first one to go to the Gentiles. You know, leave me alone. And that's sometimes how we think, right? Of course, the way all of this gets resolved is by Jesus, who doesn't look at the color of anybody's skin. He doesn't look at their economics. He doesn't look at their nationality. He only sees them as they are a sinner in need of his grace. And he comes and he gives himself. And he says, my cross is a place where anyone can come. And if we all come to the Savior together, how can we not come to the church together and, and affirm uh, the bonds of matrimony 
uh, together, uh, a man and a woman blessed by God in, in covenantal marriage, regardless of the color of their skin. I think it is imperative that we follow the lead of Jesus in this matter. It is imperative that we follow the lead of Paul and, and, and books like the book of James. And we really examine deeply in our lives attitudes what keeps us from praying for, actively engaging uh, an oppressed community like black Christians in America uh, today. If, um, if our names are precious in the sight of God, isn't, isn't their name precious as well? And shouldn't we be willing to say it? Now let me get to the third community. This formation of community, it starts in here. It moves out. It especially looks for the needy, the oppressed. And then it looks beyond, um, you know, this fear as it were and into this other community that we can't see, but is seen. Um, the teaching of the apostles is very clear on this. And yet some uh, outright deny resurrection, or others uh, you know, have a confusion about what happens after a Christian, especially after a Christian dies. Um, but the apostles make it very clear that today there is a community that is alive surrounding the throne of God and worshiping. I think sometimes we look around and we go like, is there going to be Christianity next year? Like, you know, is it still going to be existing? <laughs> you know, and we forget that uh, today in the presence of almighty God, are innumerable angels in festal gathering, worshiping around his throne. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. We forget that today, before the throne of God, the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven, the spirits of the righteous made perfect, are gathered together worshiping God. And they all are waiting for the day of the resurrection of their body. Alive in soul or alive in spirit, they are there, God sees them, they know God, they are at peace, and they are worshiping while they await the great day of resurrection. And we down here on earth are waiting for that great day too, maybe be translated up into God's presence before we die. And when we do, listen, when we get up there, it's not going to be like, hey, we're here, worship can now start. We just join the flood of worship that has been going on for all eternity around God's throne. Now with the saints above. We join in. We worship. I, I think a tremendous part of discipleship that is just often overlooked. Is how we think about what goes on in the presence of God right now at this time. Who is there? What they are doing. That it's a festal gathering. That, that it's a place where people have been assembled together. They've been enrolled. They are part of God's family. They are made perfect in their spirit, waiting again for their body to be raised. You see, when we gather to worship, we are not only gathering with the local community that is seen, we are also gathering with the oppressed community that very often is seen but unseen 
And then we are worshiping with this community that we can't see, but God sees them fully. This is, this is the formation of community that the Bible talks about. It's much more than a Sunday gathering. It's even much more than us getting together in our homes or wherever it might be during the week. It is Almighty God who for all eternity has called people forward in the name of Jesus to bring them together as a community of praise and a community of worship. But if we're going to change, if we're going to change our attitudes about one another, if we're going to change our attitudes about people that we see but really don't see, and if we're going to change our attitudes about what it means to worship with saints above as well as saints below, it's going to probably require a lot of repentance. Because repentance always requires change. True repentance. It requires us rethinking schedules, rethinking what we consider to be inconvenient or what we might consider to be a priority. But repentance is worth it because when we repent, then we are drawn more deeply into Jesus. And the more deeply we are drawn into Jesus, the more deeply we'll know his joy. And we will be made so glad when we're able to hear our name said or we see the name of another Christian and we are reminded that it's not because of what we've done but it's because of what God has done in his grace that we are able to say each other's names the names of those we see the names of those we we should see but very often don't and of course to rejoice in the names of those we will not see until we come face-to-face with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the community of the church, the community that you have given us. What a gift it is here in this place. And now, Father, as we, as we listen to what the Spirit is saying, let us be humbled. Let us be eager to obey let us, let us desire to be nourished and strengthened by what we've heard so that our formation as a church may begin uh, to be much stronger than it has in the past. That this thing of community would matter so that we might show forth our praise and thanksgiving to you and that by your grace many would be drawn into you for their salvation. With heads bowed and eyes closed, uh, just kind of doing business before God in your own heart, we'll prepare ourselves for the Lord's table. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.